Vin, did you, like, when you did your research, were you really hypothesis focused? Like, going into it, you're like, this is the exact thing I want to test. No, definitely not. It was definitely more exploratory. And getting back to, like, the, pro- the you know, sharing all of your data, for Alfio, it's, we, we have all the data, but the problem is when another lab try to repeat the experiments, a lot of the chemical use or the just the uh, the materials aren't listed in a lot of these papers, and e- you know even where where you source your chemical, so you need the catalog. So in some paper they'll list the chemical, but they don't list the catalog number or exactly where they got it, and and that matters too, batch by batch. There's there's difference in there, mm-hmm. and if you go down even to like the the instruments level, you know there are specific instruments that only three labs in the United States have, and they're publishing data on these, you know, these instruments. So how would a lab from, you know, just like some other university try to repeat that? It's, it's almost, it's really difficult. Even if your data, you just have to believe in their analysis and things like that. It's, you can't try to repeat it just because you don't have the funding to try to build this custom instruments that they're yeah. built based on the methods that they research in their own labs and test it. So it gets a little gray there as well. Um, something yeah. to think about moving outward, you know, outside of the analysis a bit. Just de- just trying to repeat experiments, confirm it, or using, or trying to use the these methods that this lab came up with for your own lab to study other problems. And you can't really, you know, get the same type of conclusion that they draw, not based on analysis and data, but just bottlenecked by instruments and by different chemicals and materials different problems altogether it reminds me of the case of cyril burke who was a brilliant uh social psychology uh theorist and uh did just some of the cleanest and most beautiful uh research studies and when people tried to replicate some of his work replicated pretty well although not as clean some of it wouldn't replicate at all. And he was very generous with his time in reviewing stimulus materials that people sent to you know, get feedback on how these were similar to or dissimilar from uh, the materials that they had used in their lab. And this went on for some time until finally one of his doctoral students finally came out and said, no, the data was all made up. Oh, he would no way. clean the data and just throw away the cases that didn't fit his theories that he knew were true. Oh my god. I gosh. think about all the time that people wasted scrutinizing wow. their stimuli and you know, sending it to him and, and having him, you know, send this bullshit back about what was probably wrong with it and they'd go and try and do it again and he was so convinced that he was right that uh you know would not uh let that you know yeah integrity schmegrity you know i'm not let that stand in the way of my beautiful theories yep. so <laughs> yeah what's what's to stop from a grad student working in a specific lab developing that specific method you know just falsifying a little bit right Nothing. and then move on move yeah. on from their graduate life and then the pi stuck with this published result that they're just so dogmatic about the the, the rails and they fight it they fight it they fight it and you know you well, hope that it's it's true <laughs> this is the reason why i think we're on to something when we talk about openness and science and having data archived yeah. in an accessible way 
having materials archived and described in accessible ways. And, you know, it's probably not necessary in the main text or a footnote of a manuscript no. to identify the source and batch number and catalog number for every chemical that you've used. But there's definitely a place to have that information in a repository that is accessible without, you know, much gatekeeping so that mm. that openness will, you know, preclude people <laughs> from even thinking for a cold mm -hmm. second that, you know, you could get away with something. And it would, that kind of openness between graduate students and, you know, the other lab mates and the PIs and the postdocs and other collaborators would, you know, be a microcosm of this larger openness. No one would ever think for a minute they could get away with that. Yeah. And, uh, that Even the same lab is beneficial, that. you know? Yeah. Like the, another grad student two mm -hmm. years from now, mm -hmm. hey, what catalog number should I use for this antibody? Mm -hmm. you know, well, I'm going off the work of this grad student, they use this catalog number. Let's order the same one. Yeah, and it, Because it, it, not all it, antibodies it, are made the same. They they yeah. bind to different epitodes on a protein. You can't, exactly. if it binds to a different one that the previous one used, it's blocked the function completely. So exactly. I get the opposite result and, and they just don't know. Something to be said about having a library of these materials in a lab that's documented. So you don't have to, you know, reach out to those former graduate students. Uh, like <laughs> David had a request a couple of weeks ago from his uh, PI to, oh, a colleague in another university wants to replicate some of our work and build on it. Can you send these, you know, structure models? And so, you know, David had to get on the phone with a current graduate student in the lab and, you know, uh, unarchive, um, untar a bunch of tar balls to dig back through and find the, the files that were needed. And, uh, you know, it, it should be more open than this. And I think, yeah, I think it's just a limitation of journals. I mean, we've grown to some, we need something else instead of a journal. And, um, I think journals could help. I don't know. My pie in this guy idea is that, uh, PIs and their labs don't even have to be involved in the analysis at all. It should just be a, like extreme rigor on the methods and describing what the data is, and then anyone could analyze mm -hmm. it. I'm like imagining a scenario where, like, there's Kaggle competitions where people post yep. data sets and ask people to help solve problems. You could do it like that. Yep. You know, maybe not even, maybe a, a light introduction to just like set the stage in the background, but then you could have, instead of one or two peer reviewers, you could have like hundreds of graduate students or postdocs, like, yeah, we all did this, this thing checks out. I have some fears with that in the sense of people just like, not liking a data set for some reason and and just i don't know <laughs> this is sorry this up is, in some way i'm but... thinking this as a segue into the central limit theorem um, so <laughs> it's like you, i wanted to talk if, about the if, central limit theorem and we've been avoiding you... it this entire time <laughs> let's, let's 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 um assume that the analysis per each person doing analysis is just a sample and then yeah. the true population um is whether it's true or analysis. not, whether the PI, yeah. And then you have but, these samples of people trying to do the analysis, and then hopefully as you plot as the frequency or something, it goes toward the true meaning of the the, the data being analyzed. I understand um, that on, like a, on the level of you measure variables from a bunch of subjects. Does it also work in the sense of, 
like meta analyses and collecting data across a ton of studies because when you guys were talking about like reproducibility and issues with that what am i trying to say here i'm not at all surprised that uh there is such an quote issue of reproducibility because i feel like so many exact study designs are hardly ever repeated more than a few times so it's like if a study is a sample size then i feel like most studies have like an n of less than 10 and everyone's like oh no one can repeat this stuff and it's like well have we even tried repeating it enough times so i guess my question is based on the sample size of individual studies how many studies would have to be conducted to then determine like okay this feels this we're confident in the results from this which I guess would deter, you know, so many things would go into that. Like, where was the study done? Populations, blah, you know, all that stuff. How much measurement error is there? Uh, how much noise in the yeah. data? Um, yeah, there, there would be a lot of factors that would go into it. Um, but it, it's the central question of meta-analysis. And it's, it's one of the reasons why meta-analysis exists. Uh, so that, you know, and, and the studies don't have to be exact replications to be use, useful in a meta-analysis. And part of the point is that there are different variations in methodologies that are used. And if the finding holds up across multiple researchers, multiple labs, even different measures of constructs, then mm. there, there's probably a fair amount of truthiness in, in that <laughs> meta-analysis, yeah. you know, relation coefficient, you know, the the meta r squared is, you know, probably something that you can uh, take to the bank and be pretty, you know, confident in. Um, when there are just a handful of studies, we we don't have that same degree of confidence. And uh, you know, the the big thing that works against meta-analysis is the the file cabinet problem. It's, uh, you know, the, the results that you have to work with are the ones that have been disseminated, typically through publication, and all the people who worked on the problem and got bupkis, and not even, mm. yeah, I don't even want to talk about this at a conference. Uh, <laughs> the, the findings and the data are not searchable. They're not accessible. Right. They're not in any archive. And so we have this, you know, we're only able to summarize the findings that have been disseminated. Um, I have I've been arguing for a long time that for the publication review process, uh, only the uh, introduction, review of literature, uh, hypotheses and methods should be submitted for review with a short discussion of the potential implications. So the study is accepted or rejected on the strength of the uh, design of the study and the conceptualization of the study, not contingent upon having, you know, the holy grail, you know, P.05 significance level for many or at least some of the findings. And that would yeah. uh, change up and uh, eliminate some of that file drawer phenomenon. The poorly designed studies are the ones that would not be indexable, searchable, or included in meta-analysis. The strong studies, the ones that we should pay attention to, would, regardless of the statistical significance level. And so those studies that were simply underpowered would still have reasonable effect sizes. And when we aggregate that across multiple slightly underpowered or even fairly underpowered studies, 
still are able to contribute to that effect. And then with our larger meta-analysis uh, sample size, suddenly we start to see that there's something substantial there. So. I I would agree with all of that, except I would I would say even poorly designed studies have value just from an observational standpoint. Like, okay, if I don't like the way you uh, designed your test group, whatever, I might I might just have a question on just like control groups or just like, um, like for, okay, so for us, we're often looking at, does this nutrient or does this ingredient improve health in some way? But I might just want to have an understanding of like, what is normal? You know, people who don't consume these things, like what is just the, 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 the typical response I should find? And I'm not even reading anything about like test groups or supplemented groups or things like that. And so in that sense, I, I, I would want to make sure that there's still a way to have access to that data. Um, because to be fair, like the, the problem with research I've done is it is industry funded and sometimes they design it in ways that make good business sense. Like, um, you know, maybe there's only so much of a product in a world that it can only be included in a certain amount because it's so expensive to make. And so scientists would say like, how come you didn't do all these dose response things? And you're like, well, there's like not even enough of this in the world right now to do that. Um, and I agree with the scientists, like it isn't a great design, but the people funding it are looking at it from more of a pragmatic standpoint. And so it's like, I want to still be able to have all that data for observational purposes, but I would agree like it, it wasn't the best design. And I've published studies that are bad designs where like dose and the type of thing are confounded. <laughs> but you know, if you were just looking at control versus any one of those, you could still make, you know, an informed opinion, but you know, other questions might be off the table. You know, and, and there are ways to make the argument and the the conceptual foundations for a paper that you know, hey, this isn't designed to you know tease apart all of these different experimental factors. This is designed to get a really good base rate, and we, we just mm -hmm. want to you know have a descriptive study that describes you know normal sorts of things yeah, to be used rate. as uh, you know as a conceptual you know touchstone to be able to evaluate other studies that are, you know, clean designs of, you know, clearly separated, separable factors and provide a baseline. And that would, you know, there'd be role for that. There'd be a room for that. And there would be, you know, an outlet that would be happy to disseminate that. Yeah. So like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I agree on those. And then like all the concerns Vin had on um, like methods that can essentially not, that could be captured by like measurement error, right? So you could eventually get a sense of like, all right, you know, the methods weren't all the same, but we can at least estimate what the measurement error across all of these things are and then get at what the, the true factor or the, or the um, response rate adjusting for, or just at least knowing what the measurement error was. 